The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are continuing our little series we're calling Refocus. We entitled that for this reason after a few tumultuous years for, for all of us in the culture and around the world and for every church, I think. We are taking a, a brief series to refocus some important things. We are looking through the lens of the letter of 1 Corinthians to help us refocus aspects of our vision and mission. Today we refocus what we're calling our priority. Our priority. I'm going to pray and then Amy's going to read our passage for us. 1 Corinthians 15. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us since you command us to be continually filled with the Spirit. Fill us even now, Holy Spirit. Grant the gift of illumination. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and be amazed by and apply the good news that we behold in this passage. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word which the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, in with, that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The word of the Lord. In his book, Essentialism, Greg McCowan notes how the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. And it stayed priority, singular, for 500 years, until the 1900s, when people started to talk about priorities, plural. McCowan writes, we thought we could bend reality. We thought we could bend reality with priority one, priority two, priority three, priority four, etc." He says, this gave the impression of many things being the priority, but meant nothing was. We try to bend reality and make many things the priority, which ends up meaning that nothing is truly the singular priority. We can only have one singular priority. The Apostle Paul would agree. God, I submit to you, would agree. For here the apostle recounts how he delivered to the Corinthians what is of first importance. First importance. That, 
that actually translates just one word, which means first. <laughs> first. First priority in the sense here. The singular priority of importance. Not, not one of many priorities, but the singular priority of importance. And that is a remarkable thing in this passage. In light of all of the important things he's highlighted so far in this letter, he's highlighted unity, a right view of leaders, church discipline, how to handle conflict in the church, sexuality, marriage, the role of conscience, the correct handling of the Lord's Supper, use of spiritual gifts, all motivated by love. Would you agree those are important things? Very important things, all of them. But now he says in this passage, I delivered to you, Corinthians, that issue of singular priority. The priority of importance. What would you say that should be? If you were writing 1 Corinthians, what would you say is the singular priority of importance for us? What would you say is Grace Church? the matter of first importance. We might say social justice or social activism, and there is much pain, suffering, and injustice in the world. And friends, we are to be salt and light in the earth, so that's important. That's important. We might say evangelism and missions, and we have a mandate from Jesus to take his saving message into all the earth. So that's important. We might say politics. We just prayed for our leaders. We might say what's most important is getting certain people in office and certain laws passed. And, of course, politics has its place. We might say discipleship, forming followers of Jesus. And that's part of the Great Commission. In fact, we are to present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians chapter 1. So that must be high on the list. But here in this passage, God's singular priority is the gospel. His one singular priority of importance is the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Well, I want to derive with you three reasons why. Three reasons why the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, must be for us our singular priority of importance. Let's derive three reasons. First, the gospel, this good news, is vital. Vital for salvation. It is vital for salvation. The Corinthians, it seems, were denying the future bodily resurrection of believers in Jesus. They were denying then a crucial benefit of this gospel. So the apostle shows them here how, how vital this good news is for them. He describes their relationship with the gospel using three different verb tenses. It's very interesting. Notice verse 1. He says, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, or maybe better, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. Notice, which you received, past tense, 
In the past, you received it when you believed. He goes on, in which you stand. That's the perfect tense. It just means continuing result, ongoing effect. You took your stand in the gospel, in the sphere of the gospel, in the scope of the gospel, and you're still standing there. And then third, and by which you are being saved. Present tense. Happening now and happening to you. It's passive. God doing this to you. You are being saved through the gospel right now. Present tense. God acting upon you if you're a believer through this gospel, preserving you, keeping you, changing you to prepare you for the fullness, the completion of the salvation to come. You received it. You're standing in it. You're being saved by it, but, but with a condition, you might say, as verse 2 continues, if, if you hold fast, if you hold fast to the word, the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, probably, probably he's thinking of, if you Corinthians keep denying the future resurrection of believers, if you keep loosening your grip on the gospel and its benefits, if you keep fumbling this good news like that, you will have believed in vain with no result for nothing. And this might seem confusing, so just to clarify, the apostle is not denying passages like John chapter 10 where Jesus says of his people that they are secure in his hand, secure in the hands of God the Son, and secure in the Father's hands. Nothing can take you out of his hand. You are entirely secure in Christ. That's 100% true. And it's 100% true if you do not hold fast this gospel. You profess your faith in it in vain. Uh, kids here, teenagers here, maybe you're a guest here. This is, this is crucial to understand how vital this message is for salvation. Imagine, imagine you're in the ocean and a strong rip current pulls you out and you try to swim back in. I know you're supposed to swim parallel to the shore, but maybe you forget that and you try to swim straight into the rip current and you get tired. You can't make any progress. You're getting weary. You can't keep this up much longer. But a lifeguard swims out to you and the lifeguard throws you a life preserver and says, hold fast to that. What would you say to the lifeguard? I mean, I could take it or leave it. Is that really vital for me? I mean, you have your way of rescue. I have mine. No. You'd say, thank you. I am going to cling to this life preserver. I'm going to hold fast to this life preserver because it's going to be my vital rescue. That's the response God is after with this condition toward the life preserver called the gospel. 
In his love, he desires to rescue you from his just and holy judgment against all sin. So he sent his son to obey perfectly in your place and to receive your just judgment in your place. He's throwing you a life preserver named Jesus. Hold fast to that by believing. Believe and and keep on believing, you might say. For it is vital. This gospel is vital for our salvation. It is what we have received. It is the sphere, the scope in which we stand and, and live right now. And it is the message by which we are being saved if we hold fast. Let, let's make a little application, though. Think about how, how, how seeing this vital nature of the gospel can serve our souls. I think seeing how vital this is can protect us from what C.S. Lewis called the horror of the same old thing. In the Screwtape Letters, the senior devil instructs the junior devil, Wormwood, to quote, work on the human's horror of the same old thing. That horror, he says, is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. Isn't that insightful? It's getting at our addiction to novelty. I want the new. I don't care about the true. I know about Jesus already. Isn't there something new for me on TikTok or Instagram? As fine as those are. I know about Jesus already. Give me some new election results instead. I want the new. I don't care about the true. It's the horror of the same old thing. We lose, friends. We lose our awe, don't we? We lose our wonder. We lose a sense of our worship. When the worship of Jesus, this is striking, I think. When the worship of Jesus in Revelation chapter 5 turns on his finished work in the gospel. Exalted heavenly beings in Revelation 5 are singing to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain. You were killed. You were crucified. And by your blood, by your violent sacrificial death, you ransomed people for God. You purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. They worshiped Jesus for he was slain. And then the entirety of heaven seems to explode in worship of Jesus for the very same reason, singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Interesting, no horror of the same old thing in heaven. Won't that be nice? I look forward to that. No one going to ho-humming over this good news. Christian, you're going to worship in heaven forever because of the gospel because of Christ's finished work. You're gonna praise the lamb who was slain forever. So let this vital good news, let this vital good news fuel our awe and wonder and worship now as it will forever then. Here's just a practical idea. As you read your Bible, as you read your Bible, Have the goal of cherishing this vital gospel. 
Look for the life preserver. Look, look for Jesus and his benefits on every page. And as you see them, stop, ponder, meditate, savor. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to light up, as it were, in your soul and your mind, the good news and what Christ has accomplished. Let us stay in awe over so vital a salvation. That's the first reason why the gospel is our singular priority. And then secondly, the gospel is historical for resurrection. It's vital for salvation. It's historical for or about resurrection. And this is really the, the heart of what the apostle's driving at here. The apostle now explains the, the essential content of this gospel. Look at verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, the priority of importance, what I also received is this transmission in some official sense of vital information. I delivered to you what I received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, the substitutionary sacrifice of God the Son. But interestingly, the cross here, the cross here doesn't get primary focus because the Corinthians are messing around with the resurrection. So the apostles focused on resurrection here because they deny the believer's future resurrection. The apostle focuses on Christ's resurrection. Notice how, verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised. Here comes the focus. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. And then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Maybe, maybe the scene in Matthew 28, we don't know. Most of whom, notice, are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Did you catch that? Okay, 500 witnesses, the apostle says. Most of them are still alive. You can go and ask them. They'll tell you, Jesus is risen. They saw him. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, half-brother of Jesus. That would have been an interesting one. Then to all the apostles, maybe that's where Thomas joined. We don't know. Verse 8, last of all, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The apostle calls himself one, one abnormally born, uh, literally the abortion, the, the miscarriage. He's, he's highlighting the unusual way he became an apostle, beholding the risen Jesus as he appeared to him from heaven while Paul was on the road to Damascus. The point is a litany of witnesses, a litany of witnesses establishing this historical fact that Christ really is raised from the grave. If you've yet to believe on Jesus, please understand this. Christ's resurrection is as verifiable as any other fact from ancient history. Friends, we, we, we can't be honest with the evidence and deny that Jesus rose from the grave. 
Then see, though, where this goes. See where he goes with this. Skip down to verse 17. Let your eyes skip down to verse 17 or scroll down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, let's just throw a hypothetical out there. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished eternally. If in Christ we have hope only, uh, in this life only, in Christ, if we have hope in this, I am having trouble saying that, aren't I? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Do you see his point? Because Christ is raised, our faith is not futile. We are not in our sins. The dead in Christ have not perished eternally. And our hope, our hope is not for this life only. Here's the connection. Since Christ is raised, the believer will be raised. And when the believer is made new, friends, all things will be made new. That's your hope. It's hope not for this life only. This Historical gospel about resurrection provides you with real hope. Ray Ortland describes an editorial from years ago about hope. He said, hope is what they want. Said an Air Force chaplain about servicemen headed to the Vietnam War. Hope is what they need, whispered a medical doctor of critically ill patients. Hope is what they've lost, said an attendant at a mental hospital. Hope is what we all need, isn't it? Hope is what we all need. There's a lot wrong in this world, a lot. War, famine, sickness, disease, death. The thing you must have is biblical hope, a future-oriented certainty. A future-oriented certainty that one day things will be very, very different. Even, you know, even if things are going well for you right now, you need this hope. I'm thinking about our, our teens. And you, Lord willing, you have your whole lives ahead of you yet still. But you need to understand that not all that you think is going to happen in your life is probably going to happen. Maybe much will, but not all will turn out as you wish. A friend of mine here, Chris, said to me this week, how as we get older, unfulfilled expectations are so hard. Can't you relate to that? Unfulfilled expectations, they become disorienting and confusing. Can you relate to that? I expected my marriage to be like, and it's not. I expected my life as a single adult to be like, and it's not. I expected my kids to be like, and maybe they're not. I expected my career or my health or my finances to be, and it isn't. Those unfulfilled expectations, they, they test the heart. 
They test my heart. They, I think they reveal. I think they x-ray. They reveal, where have I been locating my hope? Ongoing, persistent anxiety can reveal. Not always, but can. Persistent, ongoing worry or fear might reveal. Not, not always, but, but it can. And we have to ask, where am I locating my hope? Am I living with a future-oriented certainty? Friends, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is burdening your heart, whatever is creating fear or worry or anxiety for you, I'm not saying deny that somehow, but layer on top of that this hope. A future-oriented certainty. Christ is raised. Christ is raised. So you too will be raised, and one day all things will be made new. You find that hope in a gospel rooted in history that speaks of resurrection, a future hope by which you endure present suffering, a future hope that enables you to endure it now, yet look ahead and say it's going to be worth it. You find that in the gospel. It's historical about resurrection. That's the second reason why this is our singular priority. And then there's a third reason here I want to derive. Thirdly, the gospel is powerful for transformation, vital for salvation, historical about resurrection, and powerful, powerful for transformation. Having identified himself as an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection, the apostle now takes a couple of verses to elaborate on his personal experience with this gospel. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You might recall the apostle was on, he wasn't yet an apostle. Paul was on the road to Damascus to imprison Christians. He was enraged at Christians. He wanted to drag them away and lock them up. In fact, he had been there witnessing, attesting to the first Christian martyr, and buddy, he says, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I, I know who I was. But by the grace of God, I am what I am now. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Do you, do you catch the transformation experience? You catch it from hating Christians to becoming a Christian, from denying Jesus to preaching Jesus, from persecutor of the church to planting churches around the Mediterranean world. He says, I worked harder than all the other apostles. I'm not sure how they felt about that. I worked harder than all the others, but you know what? 
It was just the grace of God with me. I was so changed, so transformed. You know, if you're a Christian, the gospel has had the same transforming effect on you. You know that? Put, put your own personal history into verse 10. Recall who you were and then say, by the grace of God, I am what I am today. From dead in sin to alive in Christ, a new creation. From object of God's wrath to being God's beloved child. From guilty and condemned to being set apart holy in Christ. From being covered in our shame to declared righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. Is this gospel not powerful to transform? It transforms your very identity, doesn't it? You may know that with Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, for $8 per month now, I have good news. You may now receive the coveted blue check mark for your Twitter account. It's important for cultural influencers like me and Joshua. It confirms for our many followers that it's really us doing the tweeting. That blue check mark verifies your identity. It confirms who you really are. Listen, the gospel of grace is the ultimate blue check mark. If you doubt who you are in Christ, if you doubt the change he has wrought in your life, when you fail and you fall short, and you think you've blown it, you just need to say, no, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. No further Verification required. <laughs> no check marks needed. The crucified, risen Savior defines who you now are in entirety, confirmed and verified. Thank you very much because the gospel is so powerful for transformation. Friends, are you seeing why this good news must be our singular priority? Not one priority among many priorities, plural, but the matter of first importance for us, as verse 3 says. Are you seeing that? Vital for salvation, historical for resurrection, powerful for transformation. Friends, this passage is, it really is definition for us in ways. It provides a kind of paradigm or maybe a compass for our ministry. Look, we might have staffing changes that God brings about, but this is not going to change. I don't like change. I don't know anyone who does like change. This is not going to change. Changes will come, I'm sure, in God's providence. Here's what will not change. Here's what won't change. This good news will remain our anchor. This good news will remain the key and powerful for our ministry. The worship-fueling, awe-inspiring, hope-producing, grace-transforming good news. 
having that gospel as our single priority, it's like bringing in a professional closet organizer. You weren't prepared for that, were you? A professional closet organizer. Imagine you bring into your closet or mine a professional closet organizer. They won't throw everything else out, I trust, but they will organize everything for you. You'll get a system of organizing and prioritizing, and that's what we're talking about here. Not throwing out every other good thing. But a paradigm for ministry that helps us organize and prioritize. So, like we asked at the beginning, should social justice and social impact matter to us? Yes, absolutely yes. But with this singular priority, then our motive and our message will be the good news. For there are real needs in this world, and it's good for us to meet real needs as we're able. But as we rightly organize ourselves in these ways, we also remember, you know what? There is one vital need for those around us to know Jesus. Let us meet all the needs we can. Let us Reflect with our deeds this good news, but never forget what is vital for salvation. When this singular priority organizes us, it means, it means evangelism and missions matter for us. They should matter for us. But, but our primary passion will be Jesus, not what we do for Jesus. We'll stay in awe of Jesus, filled with wonder at the slain, risen lamb named Jesus. And out of our worship of him, we will gladly tell others this good news. When this singular priority organizes us, we will acknowledge the importance of politics, yes. But politics won't be what is most important for us. Our primary accent will be our heavenly citizenship, even over our earthly one. Friends, political parties and political candidates will not be then our ultimate hope. Christ will be. For politics can never fix what a resurrection can and will. Don't make politics your hope. The good news of Jesus is your future-oriented certainty. And when this singular priority organizes us, discipleship will matter. Absolutely. That's biblical. Present everyone mature in Christ. That's Colossians chapter 1. But then we will see what truly transforms us as disciples. We will see the power of our ministry is the transforming grace of God. And as disciples, we will always say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, discipleship happens as we prioritize and apply the gospel. It is the matter of first importance. Our singular priority that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Let's pray together. 
And I don't know what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about or ministering to you. It might be that your awe and wonder at this good news be restored. It might be that you have a sure future hope of resurrection because Christ is raised. It might be that you hope in this transforming grace coming to us through Jesus Christ. Whatever that is, I encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit even now. Or perhaps trust in Christ for the first time. Let us hope in him afresh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm so glad we're going to have all eternity to praise you, triune God, in light of this good news. So glad we're going to get to enjoy you forever. For the Lamb was slain, purchased us, people from every tribe, language, nation. Would you fuel afresh our worship? Would you strengthen our hope? Help us trust in your powerful grace even now as we make this good news the matter of first importance right here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.